explore together expanding and discussing a bit more on this uh, aspect of our experience of Vedana that Bonnie introduced in the instructions the other morning. Because one, it's fascinating. And two, it's really one of the key experiences that happens, just happens to arise every single mind moment that we're alive. Um, and understanding and meeting it with mindfulness rather than overlooking it is really one of the keys to clear seeing and liberation. It's an amazing thing. To me, one of the, one of the uh, signs of the genius of the Buddha that he even noticed it and figured it out. This really, I think, can be not something we should do, but can be really interesting to explore. So I'm just offering these reflections in, in, in that spirit. Mingyur Rinpoche writes, um, talking about recognizing cause and effect conditions, it's nature, and says, we can recognize that the same interplay between cause and effect conditions our own mind and shapes our experience. So hopefully we're all seeing that as we explore here. If we want to be happy, we must figure out what causes and conditions lead to well-being. Similarly, if we do not have a clear understanding of the conditions that create suffering, how could we possibly expect to free ourselves from it? So to me, those are kind of the two aspects of our ongoing spiritual practice, and kind of the two sides of a retreat and the two sides of the things we talk about. You know, sometimes we're talking about the causes and conditions that lead to happiness, that lead to well-being, and sometimes we're talking about the causes and conditions that, that create a moment of suffering in our hearts and minds. And sometimes you're experiencing a rare moment of the causes and conditions that lead to well-being. And other times you're experiencing a lot of moments of the causes and conditions that lead to suffering. It can seem that way. But so this is really what we're exploring in our practice, what we're seeing. And I remember once Saito Tejaniya said, I mean, this is so obvious that it was, I thought it was brilliant because it's so obvious. Uh, he's talking about someone really wanting to get concentrated and wanting to be free. He goes, you know, concentration doesn't happen just because you want it to. That's not really the cause and condition that gives rise to concentration. <laughs> just take that in. I want to be free. I want to not have this experience anymore. And we get so frustrated when it doesn't happen. So here it's like, stop. And we just look moment to moment to moment, steady mindfulness without assuming we know. And then the causes and conditions for both happiness and suffering reveal themselves. That's really why we have to go through both sides in our practice. So talking about this quality, this moment to moment experience of Vedana feeling tone. So important that the Buddha picked it out in the, in the his sutta on the four foundations of mindfulness, how he decided to divide up experience in four areas. <clears throat> and he picked Vedana for a whole, a whole section, the second one. Something that until I really uh, heard and read about it from the Buddhist teachings and started to explore in my experience, I never would have even noticed it. 
I mean, not even have a clue that it even existed, you know? It's like, wow, it's amazing. How did he figure that out? So, and really understanding, exploring how we suffer, really looking at these qualities in the mind. Remember, meditation is the work of the mind. It's not just about some kind of subtle, esoteric, looking at these things separate from life. How our mind, what goes on in the heart-mind, is what conditions how we speak and how we act in the world. It's not separate. It's not separate. I often, I think about very frequently, it's a quotation I love from Mahagosananda, who was a Cambodian monk and peace activist um, during and after the time of the Khmer Rouge, which, uh, you know, killed millions of people in Cambodia. And basically, <coughs> all, the, he, all the monks and nuns had to flee if they were going to survive, as did many other people. But anyway, he was giving uh, part of a speech in Washington, D.C. some years ago. He has since passed away. This I love. All the landmines in the world have been planted by the landmines in our own hearts. So to understand and thus remove the landmines in our hearts is the way to remove them in the world. To me, that just really points to the, the lack of separation from understanding the landmines in our own mind and hearts is going to affect how we speak and act in the world. So what are the landmines in our hearts? You know, the, the, the big picture, what the Buddha said, the qualities of greed, the qualities of aversion or hatred, the qualities of delusion, when they're present in the heart-mind in a moment <clears throat> and unrecognized, that's what leads to speech and action. And it's not just all something that kind of makes you feel a little bad, it actually is running the show. So this is also very famous, the first two verses of the Dhammapada. <clears throat> all things are preceded by the mind, the heart, are ruled by mind, <clears throat> are made of mind. If you speak or act with an impure mind, basically greed, hatred, confusion in the heart-mind, then suffering follows you as the wheel of the cart follows the ox that pulls it. All things are preceded by the mind, the heart, ruled by mind, made of mind. And if you speak or act with a pure mind heart, a calm, bright heart, then happiness follows you like a shadow that never leaves. Very famous couplet from the Dhammapada, to me saying just what Mahagosananda says and just what Minga Rinpoche says, understanding what leads to suffering in our experience and thus in the world. Because as, and understanding what leads to happiness. You know, each of us, human being, we're just one representative of humanity and we have our own particular stories and our particular patterns. But underneath that, we're all the same. You know, it's the same 
things that lead to suffering, the same things that lead to happiness. So as we come to understand how confusion and complexity gets created moment to moment, how we can see through it, and how the recognizing accurately releases the confusion, even if just for a moment, we're not just doing it for ourselves, we're understanding how this works in everybody. It doesn't mean it fixes everybody, the Buddha couldn't fix everybody, but we can certainly move into our relationships with ourselves and others in the world from a very different place of understanding. And when there's not the corruptions, the I'm going to use kalatia, the word for greed, hatred, and delusion, because I really don't so much like the translation defilement. And torments is another one, but I'm just going to use kalatia, but that's what I'm meaning by it. That the torments of heart, mind, greed, hatred, confusion, the habits. So when the Buddha came to talk about this, when he picked out Vedana, this quality of Vedana to explore, it's really because it's one, I mean, there's different angles to come in. It's not only Vedana, but this is one that's very accessible to us when we start to notice to really come to understand. So I want to start talking about it from a sutta that the Buddha gave called the darts. I'll go through the sutta bit by bit and then give my my ideas, my comments about it. <clears throat> and he starts out by saying, now what is the distinction? What is the difference that exists between a well-taught noble disciple, basically an awakened person, and an untaught worldling, an ordinary person? So that's an interesting question, right? What's the difference? That gets my attention. And he says, an untaught worldling monk's bhikkhus experiences pleasant feelings. She experiences unpleasant or painful feelings and experiences neutral feelings. A well-taught noble disciple likewise experiences pleasant, painful, and neutral feelings. So what's the difference? So first I would suggest, if you're anything like me, maybe you're not, just take a moment to think, to just look, what's the background, maybe not quite conscious assumption, if you think about what would it be to be enlightened. And don't pretend you never thought about it either. <laughs> so when it slips in, do you think, yes, I'll experience the same unpleasant feeling tones that I'm feeling now, right? Doesn't, don't you think it's just going to get better and better, nicer and nicer? i.e. more and more pleasant Vedana. <laughs> Doesn't that somehow slip in the back door? He's saying, uh-uh, no, uh-uh, it's not like that. An awakened person, an unawakened person experiences pleasant Vedana, unpleasant Vedana, and neutral Vedana. So first of all, if we can even let that one go, that's huge. Okay, it doesn't go that easy. May it be so for you. And I won't have to give this talk to myself. I'm giving it, not just to you guys. So, so what's the difference? And that's the rest of the sutta. When an untaught person, a regular person, let's say an ordinary person, is touched by a painful, by an unpleasant, say bodily vedana, feeling tone, they worry and grieve, they lament, they beat their breast, they weep, 
and are distraught. So <laughs> can you relate to that? And he's like saying, you know, just, ah, yeah, that knee, it's a little bit unpleasant. No, you beat your breast, you're distraught, you weep, you pull out your hair. It's like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. <laughs> so he thus experienced two kinds of unpleasant feelings, a bodily and a mental one. It is as if a person were pierced by a dart, an arrow, and following the first piercing is hit by a second arrow, right? So that person will experience feelings caused by two darts. It is similar with an untaught, with a normal person. When touched by an unpleasant bodily feeling tone, worries and grieves, laments, beats his breast, weeps, and is distraught. So he experiences two kinds of feelings. So that's the first part that he says. He's saying this is an ordinary person, what they do. Can you relate to that at all? And what happens, well, first let me just describe Vedana in a minute and then say how, what happens with this. So Vedana feeling tone itself, as Bonnie described the other morning, is a very subtle and fleeting, quick experience arising in every moment of consciousness, right? So as it's described, what's, what's going on? How does the Buddha describe our experience, really? Seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting, mental experience and thinking or emotion calls that the six sense experiences. And they're just happening, they're just happening over and over and over and over all day long. Have you noticed that? Just happening. And so what is a sense experience in that moment? All these things are happening very quickly, but there's of course, so say seeing. There's uh, the physical eye door that works, if it works. There's a, a form, a visual object to be seen, and the consciousness in that moment, right? When they come together, they're seeing. But what we experience, what we really recognize is just that seeing is happening. Recognizing the seeing, that's mindfulness. But anyway, so the seeing occurs, and right away with it is perception. You know, that sanya, that recognition, it's a bell, or it's a light, or this is a room. And, and you, you may not even say the word, but that just comes up. It's just normal nature, nothing wrong with that. The perception can be accurate or inaccurate, that's a whole nother talk, but that the perception arises is just natural. And it's perceived, it's recognized in the mind with this feeling tone that also is felt in the mind of this kind of pleasant feeling tone, unpleasant feeling tone, or neither one, pleasant, neither pleasant. So that is just arising just as nature, cause and effect, at the same with perception, just at that moment of contact. It's just nature, it's not good, it's not bad, it's not personal. And it's so subtle, it's arising in every moment. And um, it's easy to think that the feeling tone, that quality of pleasantness or unpleasantness or neutrality is somehow embedded in the object, like this bell is pleasant to look at. But it's not, it's, it's how it's felt really in the mental sphere in each of us. And so the same sight, well, it's never the same, right? How I see in this moment, this bell, someone else may see it different. It may be come in as neutral to, to me in this moment. It may come in as unpleasant to you or pleasant to you. And five minutes later to the same person, it could have, uh, can come in with a different feeling tone. It's not a steady state thing. 
So just to know, it's just what arises due to conditioning and such. But it's so quick, right? It's so quick that, as I said, until I read about it, I don't really notice. I don't look at the bell and go, hmm, neutral feeling tone. Hmm, nice color, gold, pleasant feeling tone. Ah, it's pleasant. And that gold makes me think of la la. We don't really notice. It's so fleeting, so quick. And in the not noticing, of course, is where the habits come in. And you know this. We talk about this all the time. But it's so deeply habituated in the, in the mind stream that when there's pleasant feeling tongue, you know, that little leaning forward, when there's unpleasant, that little bit pushing back, when it's neutral, look for something else. And in the not noticing that, that's where it moves like this from unpleasant feeling tone, bodily unpleasant feeling tone, to lamenting, beating your breast, pulling your hair, and thinking it's all over. It's like that. You know, it's so fast. And because we don't really notice so often the feeling tone, that whole experience all the reaction and we're immediately into complexity and story and what does it mean and what to do. And without mindfulness, it's really easy for us to, to think that the reactions and the story is, is really what's happening, is the accurate description of reality. Do you get a sense of what I mean? Just really, so, so take unpleasant sensation, just a little unpleasant sensation and in the knee or the elbow or the hand or whatever. And we may be actually mindful of the sensation, but not recognizing the unpleasant. And then immediately, you know, the thought, well, this isn't, this really isn't good. I don't think I can continue to sit with this like this. And in fact, I remember someone I knew who kept sitting when it was like this in their back and they really hurt themselves. And that's really not wise attention. That's really not mindfulness. That's really not compassion. This is really, I got to do something and I got to do it now. This is bad. This is wrong, you know? That could be in like a tenth of a second. Or am I the only one? (laughs) And we may recognize, you know, as it's getting really ramped up, we may recognize, okay, this seems a little exaggerated. Fear is like this, fear is like this. But really in there, not noticing the unpleasant, the reaction, the response is just, of course, of course it's wrong. (laughs) Of course it's bad. Of course I shouldn't hurt, you know? Hello. And someone said, you know, we have a body and a cause and condition is we have a body and you're sitting still for half an hour. Some point you're going to hurt. So then your mind's going, okay, so why sit still for half an hour, right? Because we should be able to organize it so we don't hurt because it's bad. Same with pleasant. You know, there's a, a, a pleasant feeling just at lunch. Something tastes good. We know it tastes good, but we, we miss the pleasant feeling. And it's just, oh, this is really great. I've got to get the recipe. I've got to have some more, but I don't want to be greedy how much are other people eating. It's okay. They had four. I can have another one. It doesn't really, you know, this is really good for me. And it, it soothes me. It's compassionate. It's really the way we're supposed to be. And there's still enough. You know, and the cooks will appreciate I'm really doing it so the cooks will feel good. So they'll know that I like the food, right? And there's nothing wrong with pleasant food. 
And there's nothing wrong with moving so you're not harming your body. <laughs> but it's like when we don't recognize the Vedana, the complexity, you know, we're entranced by the reactions. We're really lost in that. And we think that's really, we're taking that as description of reality. And we respond in that way and through that to the next thing that happens. That's how we get so kind of confused, confused and lost. So, basically, without mindfulness, because the sixth sense experiences, you know, that's all that's happening all day. And, and notice how fast they're changing. Sometimes when you see it, nothing stays really for more than a moment. So all those Vedanas arising through the day in our daily life too, and the not recognizing the tendency to move toward the pleasant, away from the unpleasant, ignore the neutral, and use that to really as the overlay of what's meaningful, what's valuable, what's worthwhile in our life. Think how many mind moments we've practiced that. No wonder it's such a deep habit. No wonder it feels right, really, and normal in a way. You know, do, do you know what I mean? It's like, of course pleasant is better. Of course if, some, if it's been a pleasant sitting, if it's been really clear and then suddenly it's all muddy and the body's really hurting, even though you're aware of it, but it's really turned unpleasant, it of course feels like something's wrong. It's just such a deep habit, but it's a habit, because it's a habit doesn't mean it's the truth. But it's, as you know, very difficult to change habits. So a lot of our practice is this exploring to see how this process is working. Really being interested, not taking it personally, because we're all kind of running in these habits. So really starting to explore Back to reading the sutta, which I put down somewhere. Here it is. So he goes on how we react, or ordinary people. So you're beating your breast, you're resisting. Having been touched by that painful feeling, one resists it, one resents it. Then in one who so resists, and resents that painful feeling, an underlying tendency of resistance, a habit of resistance against painful feeling comes to underlie the mind. You get a sense of that? It just becomes the habit to resist and resent unpleasant feeling. And because it's a habit, it feels normal. It feels appropriate. Then he goes on, under the impact of that painful feeling, one then proceeds to enjoy sensual happiness. And why does one do so? An ordinary person, O bhikkhus, does not know of any other escape from painful feelings except the enjoyment of sensual happiness. This kind of breaks my heart, actually, this. So in one who enjoys sensual happiness, the underlying tendency to lust for pleasant feelings comes to underlie the mind. He does not know, according to facts, the arising and ending of these feelings. 
nor the gratification, the danger, and the escape connected with these feelings. And in one who lacks this knowledge, an underlying tendency to ignorance as to neutral feelings comes to underlie his mind. So just talk about that a little. I think this is, to me, like the classic description of samsara, you know, what keeps us spinning in this wheel of wanting and becoming, this deep tendency of immediately resisting the unpleasant and the only way out, we think it's the way out, we know, is to go look for something pleasant. And that's just, you know, the sense of samsara just always leaning a little bit forward, if not a lot, but a little bit forward to something a little bit better. The next good thing, the next good thing. Even so simple as this thing I'm eating is good, so let me have the next one. Just as Guy was saying, the Tibetan saying that samsara is the urge to correct. Just get it a little bit better, a little bit better. That sense of always leaning into the next thing and confusing if it, not really seeing the effect of that, which keeps us really kind of narrow, looking forward, a sense of incompleteness, a sense of insufficiency, a sense of needing something to make it okay. And the second it's here and okay, it doesn't last. It's needing the next thing, needing the next thing. So always uh, kind of leaning into that object not seeing the whole process, not recognizing the sense of connectedness and vastness, but really under the influence of unrecognized greed and aversion and me, 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 the mind is really narrow and focused like tunnel vision. And we experience it as this, really this, this sense of different ways, but of alienation or neediness or, you know, what's wrong, always needing something more. And confusing it often, with happiness, with pleasure. Have you ever noticed how sometimes just the, the wanting something, we, we almost think it's pleasant, we confuse it, oh, just the, the pleasant fantasy, well, that thought's pleasant in the moment, but just imagining how great it's gonna be when you get whatever the heck it is, the orange at breakfast or the amazing new relationship or whatever it is. Is it ever as good as you imagined? If it is, how long for? How long for? Really, pretty quick. So then the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And to see how in each moment, it can be emotions, it can be physical objects, it can be pleasant um, meditative experiences. And always that sense when we get it, thinking this is supposed to do it. Not understanding, of course, the impermanence or the fleetingness of Vedana itself. We're looking at the object thinking it's going to make me happy, when really it's the craving goes away and there's a sense of ease, a sense of peace. And really what we're craving is pleasant Vedana, pleasant feeling tone. How quick is it? When we start to explore just noticing pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, feeling tone is so quick and insubstantial and we're running our life by it. Ajahn Buddhadasa, who, I don't know if he's been mentioned, he was a really wonderful Thai forest um, monk teacher and uh, scholar. And uh, he, he was really quite interesting. And he said once, just explore pleasant feeling tone 
just start to notice how it feels. And I'll talk a bit later, or unpleasant too. And just notice how quick it is, you know? So try it in eating, like say you're eating an orange or something that you like, something that's pleasant. And just when you take a bite, you know, we tend to notice the juiciness and the this, but just notice if you can, just the burst of pleasantness. How long does it last? You have to take another bite to get another burst or eat another orange or think a happy thought or remember how the previous bite tasted so that thought is pleasant, you know? See how quick it is. So he says, as you start to notice how fleeting pleasant feeling tone is, but you start to see, when he says, think about all the decisions and choices you've made in your life. And he says, I bet you'll see 95% of them were based on wanting more pleasant feeling tone. So maybe that's exaggerated for us, you know, more awake beings. <laughs> but look and see, not with judgment, with interest, with interest, you know, see how this works. We don't see the vastness, the non-separation. It keeps us looking, looking, looking. And another thing it does is we keep, we land in each experience whether it's emotional or something to eat, pleasant, unpleasant. And it's so, this is it. You know, we take each one as so, I mean, it's real in that moment, but it's like we really die into it. This is going to make me happy. We're really there with it. And then when it goes away, we're distraught. We're so, oh no, this is really gone. And that's so complete. And then the next good, oh, finally, now it's good again. And now I can relax. And then another difficult one comes. Have some of you have mentioned in, in interviews how you're starting to see emotions just coming really quick and fast, beautiful ones, difficult ones, confusing ones, complicated ones, coming through, coming through. And you see, wow, when you really identify with each of them, how exhausting it is. And we're doing that in our life a lot of the time. A place I like to, um, it amuses me, um, to watch, I kind of think of it as a, as a metaphor for watching how samsara works, is if you watch friends who are really involved in watching a particular sport, a particular team, it's good to watch friends if you're not particularly involved, right? <laughs> Easier to watch them. So, for example, last year when um, the basketball team here, the Golden State team, those of you who are here know it was like a big deal. When I came out here, in the spring during the playoffs. I've never in my life been anywhere out here where everyone, everyone I spoke with without exception was completely caught up in the Golden State Warriors and where they get through and have the most wins or whatever and then in the playoffs. And I mean, it's amazing. even people, friends of mine on staff here who I don't think to my knowledge, had never looked at any kind of a sports game at all. They're like, got to go, Carol. I got to go watch the, the Warriors play. <laughs> I almost fell off my chair. <laughs> really? <laughs> You're going to go watch the Warriors? So one night I was out to dinner with a friend and, uh, from Germany. We were driving home about into San Rafael to here about 7.30 on, on a weekend evening. I was driving. I said, Jeez, it's like there's no cars on the road. It's weird. It's spooky. What's going on? And Franz goes, I bet there's a Golden State game on. 
And sure enough, you know, when I went home and walked past the window of my friend, I could see in the TV, yeah, Golden State, two heads. <laughs> and and if, you, if you watch people, something like basketball is fun because it's fast moving. So you're watching and you, you want a particular team, so that team scores a basket. Yay, yay, pleasant feeling, pleasant feeling, so excited. <laughs> and then they're running around and then the other team says, oh no, unpleasant feeling, unpleasant <laughs> feeling, oh, it's so bad. And it's like, it's changing every second, every two seconds. It's exhausting but each one's really real. It's so true, you know? And, and it's like, halftime, oh my God, they're 20 points behind. I said, but it changes so fast. How can you worry now? There's another, you know, <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen in 45 minutes. It's so fast. And it's like, it's fun to watch when you don't, you're not the one who cares. It's different when you're the one who cares. But to me, it's a, it's a great uh, sense, a little metaphor for samsara. And then, you know, finally, thanks God, the game ends. And, you know, it's, it's good if they won, but even if they lost, thank God it's over because it's exhausting. <laughs> but how long do you get? If, it's, if, it, if they won, great, you can be happy. For how long? If you lost, you're sad. For how long? Because the next day there's another game. You got to get all revved up again. You got to go watch it again. You got to see where they are. It's like, so to me, this is like, a little metaphor, it's exhausting, but we think we're having a really good time. <laughs> we're choosing to do this. We're choosing to do this. But in our life, here we are. We're not so much, we're here, but we can notice what we're choosing and what's really bringing us happiness. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with watching um, a basketball game. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying watching what we really think is bringing happiness and ease and seeing how it works. It's fun to see how it works in something that's not, you know, the most important thing in your life because then we can really explore. That's kind of what's great about this time we have on retreat. Now we're really in, in the heart of the retreat, you know, we're well into the second week. And so, sure, stuff from your daily life is still coming up. It doesn't go away, but all of you, no matter what you think, you're quieter than you were when you came, you know? You notice, actually, as awareness strengthens and gets its momentum, one might actually notice more thinking. You might notice more wanting arising, more aversion arising. You think I'm more of a mess than when I came. But it's really that awareness is noticing more and more subtle, really. Come in someone say, oh my God, everywhere I look, there's craving, and we go, great! And you probably think we're really twisted, but it's like, wonderful. <laughs> You're really seeing what's going on, and not only you. So that's a wonderful thing to explore in retreat, here in, in the smaller things, but start to see how it works when there's pleasant or unpleasant, or when you notice you're all caught up in wanting or aversion. And the question, it might come up, so what's wrong with wanting an aversion, you know? Okay, we can see, if you really don't see it, you can do bad stuff, okay. But if you're just sitting here, minding your own business and feeling some wanting and aversion, and so what, you go have a cup of tea instead of doing your walking meditation, big whoop. We're not saying that, you know, we're not saying there's something wrong with what you did. That's, that's again, looking at the object. But we want to explore what happens with Vedna and when we don't see it going into wanting, aversion, delusion? Why does the Buddha pick those out as being so, not just problematic, but the roots of suffering, the roots of confusion? So this is just a little quick, quick aside of when they're not recognized in the mind, coloring, 
a distorting perception. It's exactly this that gets in the way of recognizing accurately. And as I think we've, we've said, I know I said before, waking up, freedom from suffering, isn't about coming into another reality. It's about recognizing accurately just what Minya Rinpoche was saying, what brings happiness and what brings suffering. Not our habitual ideas more pleasant as happiness. That's not real reliable happiness, but what really does. And so when, when there's desire present in the mind, So maybe you didn't notice the the pleasant, but you're noticing desire. Get interested in watching the effects of it. Notice what it does in the mind. It has a kind of a a narrowing, a tunnel vision, right? You can see how it really, from being like kind of in just present, calm with whatever's arising, suddenly the awareness like snaps shut on the thing that's wanted. My brother used to have... um, uh, like a hound dog, kind of like they're bred for hunting, although this was just, you know, living in, with him in his house in Atlanta. But it's bred for hunting, so um, it's a really sweet dog, but the nose was so highly sensitized that he'd come into the house or, or go out in the backyard, and all he could do was, was his nose would just take him to sense any human, any animal scent. He had no control over it, you know. He'd just come in the house, and he'd go into my suitcase and pull out any dirty clothes because it had a human smell on it. He'd leave the clean clothes alone. You just, you had to hide all the garbage when he'd go. So he'd just pull by the nose, you know, by scent. And I think of craving as like that. It just kind of pulls us by the nose. It's like, I just want, you know, we're off after it. The story I often tell, but I think it's a good one, is when I was uh, years ago at Yucca Valley in the high desert there in Southern California. I like it there very much, that high desert. We'd go walking out in it every morning. And I find it just something very clear and bright in that dry desert air and, you know, the different Joshua trees and the birds and the little bunnies and the chipmunks and the just, just being present with all of that and just walking, just being there. And so again, one morning doing that. And you know, there are a few really large land tortoises there, but you don't see them very, very frequently. So when normal, I was walking in the desert and just present with that just kind of exquisite awareness we have sometimes but we don't recognize it's because there's no wanting going on. There's no aversion going on. There's just, you're just awake. But the thought comes up, maybe I'll see a tortoise. And that thought was grasped at. And oh yeah, maybe a tortoise. I know where the beds are, you know. And immediately what had been awake, walking, inclusive became head for the tortoise, head for the tortoise. And everything else that came, not tortoise, not tortoise, not tortoise, just head for the tortoise, head for the tortoise, whether you see one or not. The, the experience totally different. And we think, oh, we think that's going to make me happy seeing the tortoise. I was happy before I got into wanting to see it. And now I don't even remember if I saw it or not, because at some point I noticed what was happening. I went, oh, look at that. And then the peace that comes back is when the wanting is just put down, it goes away. It's, ah. So whether I saw the tortoise or not, I don't remember. But if you see it, it's like, ah, great, saw the tortoise. The wanting's gone. There can be a wide sense of just presence with all that is in that moment, whatever arises. That's why it's often said, I think think Guy said this, how Buddha said, wanting, aversion, are makers of measurement. Kind of measures me and the thing that's wanted. Me immediately springs up when there's wanting or aversion. 
aversion the same way. In the same way, the mind shrinks back really like a, a real sudden reaction to the unpleasant. And in that shrinking back, almost we get just as caught up in the thing. Have you noticed? Thich Nhat Hanh always gives the example of, you know, what's it like if you have one rough tooth, one tooth that just has a little chip in it? All your other teeth are fine. How much time does your tongue spend going to that little chip in the tooth? It's not like feeling all your other tooth, teeth and going, oh, these are fine, these are neutral. Oh, rough tooth, unpleasant, rough tooth, unpleasant, rough tooth, unpleasant, right? Or if there's some sound going on that you find annoying, that you find unpleasant. And we're not just noticing unpleasant, there's that sound. And it's intermittent and not regular, right? So it happens and then it's quiet. For, then it happens again. And, and it happens, but it's not regular. Do you notice the time in between when the sound is not happening? The mind can be completely caught up with unpleasant expectation waiting for that sound. We're like married to the unpleasant experience with aversion, the same as with pleasant. And neutral, can, well, for unpleasant, Thema Chodron has a great line. She says, like we're, as if we spend our life <coughs> walking around as if we're tensed up like we're in the dentist's chair. You know, just trying to hold away anything unpleasant. And then delusion, first it's just not noticing what's going on. That's one aspect. But really the deeper delusion is this all becomes all about me. When, we're th- when there's craving, there's definitely me. It's about me. When there's unpleasant, it's about me. I mean, when there's aversion, not just unpleasant. It's all about me. It becomes the center focus of everything. And as someone, someone was saying today, they, they noticed, the sense of me came up in something, they said, wow, I was just paying attention to it and I noticed, this is really unpleasant. Just kind of contraction and limiting and really, really unpleasant. That's interesting. It wasn't an aversion. So that's just like the most simple way to start to explore, not say, oh, wanting is bad, I'm going to stop wanting. Forget that. But get interested in exploring it. Get interested in exploring it. Because as the, the Buddha said, until we start exploring it, we know of no other escape from the unpleasant feeling except to lust after the pleasant. And until we get interested to see what's really going on with that, with the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, with the lusting after the pleasant, until we see what's really happening with that, we don't get it that this isn't making us happy. We just keep thinking the next one, the next one, the next one the next basket, the next basket, you know. So our, our practice here is just to simply bring in simple attention to see, to explore craving and aversion, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Remember the Buddha said here that the, the ordinary person doesn't understand as it really is um, the arising and ending of these feelings, as I was saying, they're so quick, so quick, so quick when we start to see them, these feeling tones. Or the danger, the gratification, the danger, and the escape. And this, he talks about this frequently, and I think this is another piece of brilliance. The gratification, danger, and escape in feeling tone, in the world in general. So he says, before he was awakened, he was exploring, what's the gratification in the world? What's the danger? What's the escape? He said, there is gratification. Whatever pleasure and joy there is in the world, 
He's saying pleasant feeling tone, in a way, is gratification. We enjoy it. We get pleasure from it. And that's, that's how it is. He's not saying bad or good. He's just saying, yes, this is a fact. So when people say the Buddha is saying, no, everything's, everything's suffering, everything's unpleasant, he's not saying that. He's saying, for sure, there's gratification, there's pleasure and joy in the world. This is pleasant feeling tone. What's the danger? The danger is that the world is impermanent in terms of feeling tone. They're so quick, they're so fleeting, there's no way they give any kind of lasting gratification at all. Bound up with dissatisfaction and subject to change. This is the danger. The danger if we're not seeing the feeling tone and we're letting that drive us into trying to make the decisions in our life, how we respond. It doesn't work because we're looking for something that it can't give. The escape is the abandoning of desire and lust for the world. This is the escape. So I want to just say a few things about that. And I talked about the fleeting quality of Vedana, the confusion of thinking that going for the pleasure, pleasant is making us happy. But when we really look at it, we can see that's not necessarily so. But this abandoning the lust for the world is often confused when we hear it, but we don't experience it in a moment. It's often confused with thinking, abandon the world. And that's not what the Buddha is saying. When, but when we abandon, just in a moment, like when I was uh, describing, say, just simple, the craving for a tortoise, and when that drops away, there's peace. The peace, not of the incredible gratification of getting what you want and the big jazz of that, but the peace, like the, the peace of contentment, just a contentment with it's like this now. This is really a much deeper peace. It's the escape from the lust in the world, but it's not escaping from the world. It's not, doesn't mean there's not appreciation of beauty, of joy. These things are still happening. It's not like we want to abandon pleasant feeling tone. But what just drops away in a moment is this lusting for it and this fear of the unpleasant, which has been like driving the bus, running the show. One of my favorite quotations from the Buddha is, what is beautiful in the world remains so, but the wise one no longer craves after it. Explore for yourself, just in little things here, a sense of that difference, a sense of the difference between appreciating but not craving for it, this contentment. It's not from an act of personal will. That's just more wanting. Now I'm gonna stop craving and really feel contentment with just this breath, no matter how it comes. Contentment, ease. You know, that's out of our control, how we're gonna feel. We don't know what feeling tone's gonna come up. It's not an act of will, but notice in those moments, it's wisdom that recognizes, oh, this wanting, this 17th orange, maybe it's not going to do it. And you put it down. So I'll tell a story like that. It really see, and, and what lets us see it? Simple moment-to-moment mindfulness. Simple moment-to-moment mindfulness. From the Buddha in the... Um, in the Satipatthana Sutta, where he's talking about Vedana, 
how to, how to be mindful. When feeling a pleasant feeling tone, one knows, I feel a pleasant feeling tone. Duh, but that's it. You don't add anything around. <laughs> when feeling an unpleasant feeling tone, one knows, I feel an unpleasant feeling, not, oh my God, what can I do about it? I feel an unpleasant feeling tone. It's like this. When feeling a neutral feeling tone, one knows. I feel a neutral feeling tone. I know, we like, think, okay, yeah, right, then what? Try doing it. Just try doing it. And with a steady attention, see what happens. The whole world opens up. And we can start to see how these patterns work. I'll give, I'll give this ex- example. I think the first time I, I think it's the first time I sat a three-month retreat in IMS a long time ago. And this is a story of bad behavior on a retreat that I am not recommending, okay? But I happened to have a car, and I was, it was deep in, in November in Massachusetts. And um, I just got this intense craving for cookies. And I got in my car and went into, into the little town there and bought this you know, bag of chocolate chip cookies. Now, I don't usually, it's, and it's not my usual thing. And I took it back, I had a room by myself, which was sometimes it's unfortunate to have a room by yourself. Um, and I just sat, so, so the going in, the getting at the back, I knew what I was doing, but that wasn't mindfulness, you know. I was just pulled by the nose of craving, with no understanding of what was happening. I went back to my room and I sat down, but then I started eating the cookies. And I was being very mindful of eating them, you know, picking it up, chewing, chewing, <laughs> swallowing, swallowing, very mindful feeling how it goes down, you know, very mindful. <laughs> and I kept eating it. I mean, I don't usually tend to binge, but I ate a lot of those cookies, <laughs> a lot. And I kept on being mindful, right? And at some point I'm going, this is like a lot of cookies, Carol, and I kept on being <laughs> mindful. <laughs> and because I was mindful, and mindfulness isn't making, isn't, doesn't have a hierarchy, I started to notice it was as if the, uh, following the cookie down and it would drop into my stomach, which was starting to feel less and less pleasant, I have to say. But I noticed in my heart area, it was like there was this real, real painful feeling that the cookies was dropping past. It wasn't fixing that painful feeling, which I hadn't noticed before. And then I realized, oh, wow, this is a really deeply unpleasant feeling of loneliness and sadness. Oh. And, and feeling, it's like, oh, that's what's happening. So this unpleasant feeling so often gives rise to not wanting to feel it, not even noticing it, gives rise to seeking pleasant feeling. And I hadn't even recognized that. And as soon as I was, oh, loneliness feels like this. I didn't eat another cookie. I didn't eat another cookie. I just put it down. Oh, loneliness feels like this. That was fine. That was fine. So we can explore these processes, and we can really trust the steadiness of awareness. You don't have to figure it all out by yourself. But just have the willingness to say, if you notice wanting, let your attention just feel how wanting feels. Generally, I find wanting unpleasant. We're, we're used to doing something to get away from it because it's unpleasant, hence we get what we want. It doesn't feel natural to just hang out with wanting without acting on it. But explore that in little things. I promise you won't die from wanting. And I promise at some point it'll go away. I don't know how long. I don't know how soon it might come back. But at some point it'll go away. So sometimes pick that with little things. You're walking and it comes up, I've got to go have a cup of tea. And now, 
just explore the wanting. But if it gets stronger than the mindfulness and you go to have the cup of tea, then still bring the mindfulness along and watch. Watch the whole process. You know, it gets really interesting. Another way, if you've, you know, you've missed the feeling tone, but you're already into action, which can be interesting, it's sort of like me with those cookies, just kind of have an eye out of mindfulness to notice in the little decisions you make going through the day. It's interesting to see what's kind of motivating them. And often, not always, but often, a little decision like I walk into the dining room, where do I sit? can be like a little sense of, un- you look at this, oh no, unpleasant, I don't want to sit next to that person, you go sit over there. And it happens so fast, we don't even notice it. Or go down and say, oh, uh, I want to have a cup of tea. Walking and walking meditation, selling, I want to have a cup of tea. And you notice the wanting. Stop a minute and feel what's going on. Maybe it's just wanting pleasure. Maybe though there was a moment of boredom, neutral or unpleasant, or maybe your foot hurts, you know, or maybe just enough of this, or maybe the rain, the rain, my God, I can't stand it. It was just an unpleasant thought. Let me go inside and have some cozy tea. Whether you do the tea or not, that's not the point. Watching how this process works, it's fascinating, really, to see how frequently this habit pattern of immediately jumping back from some subtle, unpleasant feeling, not even a big deal, and going to pleasant. How deeply ingrained this is. It's just habits of mind. And you don't have to try and forcibly stop it. Just bring the mindfulness along, the mindfulness along. At some point, when the wisdom sees, like when wisdom saw, oh, that's loneliness. I didn't, as Carol say, you know, I have to stop eating the cookies. The whole thing just fell away. Wisdom said, oh, that doesn't, that's not necessary. The craving stops making sense in the light of wisdom in that moment. It's not something you give up as an act of will. The aversion to unpleasant feeling, it stops making sense. All that does is bring us into more suffering. We start to see, oh, Pleasant feelings like this, unpleasant feelings like that, can really be with it. So this is how the Buddha describes the awakened one. When a well-taught noble disciple is touched by a painful feeling, he does not worry or grieve or lament, beat his breast or weep, nor will they be distraught. They experience one kind of feeling, a bodily one, but not a second mental one. If if you're pierced by a dart, but you don't shoot yourself with the second one. Having been touched by that unpleasant, painful feeling, they do not resist and resent it. So the underlying tendency of resistance against the unpleasant does not come to underlie the mind of someone who understands this. Under the impact of that painful feeling, she does not proceed to enjoy sensual happiness. And why not? Because a well-taught disciple knows of an escape, discerns an escape from painful feeling tone other than by enjoying sensual happiness. So then there does not come to be the underlying tendency to lust for the pleasant. She knows, according to facts, the arising and ending of these feelings. We just know it. Unpleasant feeling comes, it comes, it goes. You don't need to do anything about it. Pleasant feeling comes, it comes, it goes. We don't need to do anything about it. Unpleasant, I mean, neutral feeling comes. We actually notice it's happening. 
We don't need to do anything about it. It comes and goes. So when an experience is a pleasant feeling tone, a painful feeling tone, or a neutral, they feel it as someone who is not bound to it, who is not joined to it. Such a one, O bhikkhus, is called a well-taught noble disciple who is not chained by birth, by old age, by death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. Such a one is not chained to suffering. This I declare. So the same things are happening, but we experience it as not chained to it. So I just want to end with the end of the Buddha's instructions on being mindful of feeling tone. So first, just recognizing is pleasant, unpleasant, neutral feeling tone. And then when, and you might pick, for example, don't go crazy looking for it every moment, okay? Sometimes it's not the obvious thing. Notice what's obvious. But sometimes when your mind is fairly calm and you explore, you can, you can pick uh, experiences that it's very obvious. So for example, if it's kind of cold out and wet, and that's an unpleasant feeling tone to you. You might just go and just experience, you don't have to go stand in a downpour, I don't mean that, but just kind of for a little bit, feel the cold and instead of lamenting and beating your breast, just feel unpleasant, 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 just exploring the feeling tone. Then go inside where it's warm and dry and just feel pleasant, pleasant, just exploring that. When something else big isn't going on. So this is the Buddha. Whatever feeling tone one feels, whether pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant or unpleasant, one abides contemplating impermanence in those Vedana. Contemplating, recognizing the fading away. Contemplating, recognizing the relinquishment, the not holding on, the simply letting it, letting it go. You don't, you don't put it away. It just goes. Contemplating this one does not cling to anything in this world. When one does not cling, one is not agitated. When one is not agitated, one personally realizes nibbana. Just from noticing such a simple thing over and over. So let's just sit quietly for a moment. Thank you.